You're inside the Mom Stuff Coffee Shop, a podcast dedicated to helping you get back up again, turning your pain into power, turning your trauma into triumph. I am your host, KK Smith, and I find joy in helping you get back up again. This podcast holds a space for you to grow, heal, and connect like you never have before. So grab your coffee and step inside the Mom Stuff Coffee Shop. Welcome to today's show, friends. Thank you for joining me today inside the Mom Stuff Coffee Shop. Today, I have an exciting show for you. I'm joined by Natalie Vecchion. She is the author of Blazing New Homeschool Trails, along with Cindy LaJoy. She has come to the Mom Stuff Coffee Shop to share her experiences on FASD and also how they took their family struggle and Now they're able to give hope and they're doing amazing things in this world. And we're going to learn all about FASD and also sensory processing disorders. So Natalie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, KK. I appreciate you having me. So tell us a little bit about FASD in case any of our audience members doesn't know what that is. Sure thing. So FASD stands for fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. And the term FASD, um, it uh, stands for the dis- disabilities. There's, there's different diagnoses under, um, under the FASD umbrella. It's a result from exposure to alcohol, um, prenatal exposure to alcohol. So FASD is the spectrum. It's not the actual diagnosis. There's actually five diagnoses under the FASD umbrella. There's fetal alcohol syndrome, partial fetal alcohol syndrome, alcohol-related birth defects, neurobehavioral disorder associated with prenatal alcohol effect exposure, and alcohol-related neurodevelopmental disorder. So basically, to sum it up, anytime an unborn child is exposed to any amount of alcohol, it changes not only that unborn child's brain, but it also changes their whole body. It's a brain-based whole body diagnosis. And really, FASD, any type of alcohol, prenatal alcohol exposure, means prenatal brain damage. It's essentially brain damage that happened before. And there's a big misconception about, oh, well, if I just have a drink and then I didn't realize I was pregnant and if I stop drinking, the baby's going to be okay. You know, now you can take steps, but any amount of alcohol, it says so on the cdc.gov, it says so on so many different organizations and and government organizations, no amount of alcohol is, is safe. So there's a misconception. One of the things that we we do in FASD Hope, which is um, we started this podcast website, we considered a ministry. Um, my husband and I started FASD Hope. One of the many things that we like to do is provide awareness. So FASD, a lot of people think they have to, you know, somebody that has you know, fetal alcohol exposure has to have that face, you know, there are facial characteristics and that's usually associated with fetal alcohol syndrome or partial fetal alcohol syndrome. But the fact of the matter is that 90% of people who have been prenatally exposed to alcohol have no outward facial effects, no outward symptoms. And it's often misdiagnosed as other things like autism or ADHD or, you know, 
pervasive developmental disorder. Um, those are part of the diagnosis, but if if you you know go to an FASD diagnostic clinic or somebody who specializes, like a geneticist, who can determine if there was you know alcohol exposure, then you know that there was actually a brain change from the alcohol exposure. And it looks different for everybody because just like autism, it's a spectrum diagnosis. So some people may have it more um, impact, maybe more impacted than others. Um, so that's what FASD is. And um, some of the primary characteristics are, again, the, one of the many reasons why it's misdiagnosed is some of the primary characteristics of FAST are very similar to other diagnoses. So things like um, learning disabilities, hyperactivity, impulsivity, difficulty with attention, um, poor ability to communicate, especially in social situations. So some more primary characteristics that are associated with FASD um, include things like um, poor judgment skills, um, the uh, inability to carry out a task, which is called um, executive functioning, um, you know, lower something that uh, is known as dismaturity, meaning that their chronological age or how old they actually are is much higher than their developmental age. And that actually grows as they get older. So in little kids, it may not seem like a big gap, but when, you know, someone that has an FASD becomes a teen or a young adult or even an adult, that gap gets wider because if we think about it, society expects a lot more from teenagers and young adults and adults than they do from, you know, younger kids and little kids. So a lot of the symptoms of FASD overlap things like ADHD, autism, um, you know, those types of things. Um, and, and the biggest thing about FASD that I hope your, your listeners carry away is that FASD is a brain-based disorder. It's brain. You can't change brain. Something that happens to your brain, just like trauma, just like brain injury. You know, FASD essentially is brain injury that happened before a child was born and it was from alcohol. So one of the many things that we try to do um, in FASD Hope is communicate that, okay, you, you can't change your child's brain, but there are things, many things you can do to support them and to support their needs. Um, another huge hallmark of FASD is memory, poor memory. And again, that's because of how the alcohol affects the brain. And it's particularly when, you know, the, you know, you teach something to a child and one day maybe they get it, but the next day they can't retrieve it. That's because of the brain damage. So, um, you know, one of the things that we, we talk about is that understanding, you know, and again, it looks different for everybody, but understanding their needs, understanding the, the ramifications of the alcohol exposure, and then really shifting your focus to supporting them, supporting their needs, but focusing on their strengths. Um, and that's really what um, Cindy LaJoy and I talk about in our, our book is really making that shift from, you know, so often schools and, you know, organizations or, you know, any anybody looks at our kids 
that either have an FASD or ADHD or any type of brain-based diagnosis, they look at them and they say, okay, well, these are all the things they can't do. Rather than saying, okay, these are the things they can do and they actually can do it really well. For example, our son really is a gifted young carpenter. He, he actually made the desk I'm talking to you from. He like, you know, and he's not even 19 yet. Um, you know, he's also great at computer coding. So we talk about this in our book, how if you can shift that focus from what they can't do to what they can do, then you're really empowering that individual. And, and also as a family, it's empowering because you're shifting from saying, okay, well, you know, this is what everybody else says I can't do. This is what society says to, hey, you know what? This is what, this is what my kid can do. This is what we can do. And it's really special. And how do I have to think out of the box to support them? So really, that's in a nutshell. Um, I'm not a professional. I'm just a mama with lived experience. So one of the things we do on our website and through our podcast is we share resources for parents, families, even just people who want to learn um, where they can get more information or training or, you know, education about FASD and about, you know, supporting people whose brains work differently. I think that's so awesome because you mentioned also ADHD. And I think it's so important because sometimes we focus so much on the herd mentality. I like to say the herd mentality, meaning everyone is doing this. So I should be doing this. And especially that's especially true for children because they want the latest or they want to be involved with the in crowd or they want to be involved with the people that's really influenced in the world or their school or their communities. And I think it's so important what you said to focus on what they can do, not on what they can't do. And I think that creates such a unique life for any individual because so many times we have the herd mentality. Can you talk about specifically what types of things have you all come up with that they can do instead of following society's norms. Absolutely. So um, I like to say that anybody that has a brain-based diagnosis, so any, not just FASD, but autism, uh, ADHD, even brain injury, um, I, I like to say where one area of the brain has been affected, I think another area of the brain has like a superpower. <laughs> so things like music, being musical, being artistic, you know, being creative. I, I have interviewed people on our podcast, FASD Hope, who are adults living with FASD, who are incredible writers and authors. Um, I've also um, interviewed people on our show who were wonderful artists, you know. Um, so things like that, music, the arts, um, woodworking is another big one, um, carpentry, um, the trades, you know, like, like working with their hands. And that makes a lot of sense because when you work with your hands, it's very concrete. And people that have FASD or other types of brain-based disorders, they usually, when they work with their hands, it's they can see it and touch it and it's multi-sensory. So therefore, it comes a little easier for them than say something that's more abstract. So um, another, uh, I've heard a lot of other um, people that have FASD are very good with animals or maybe they're very good outside doing, you know, things in nature, farming, things like that. So those are just some, a few examples of, of, of like 
traits or strengths that people with FASD um, or other brain-based diagnoses are very good at. And, and again, those are things that I think society often overlooks. You know, I love what you said, KK, about how we have this like herd mentality of, okay, you're done. Everybody go to college now or everybody do this now, you know, and the timeline looks so much different for our teens, for our young adults, you know, and for our kids. So if we focus on their timeline, you know, which is hard to do, you know, that, that that's one of the many reasons why we homeschooled was we, we, we realized that our son, um, and this, this phrase is used often, um, had a 10 second, he, he had a 10 second brain in a one second world. And, and that I think summarizes what you're talking about, you know, trying to get them, you know, okay, you got to do this by this and this by this. And when you step away from that, it is empowering. It, it really is, is. It is. Now, do you find that children with sensory processing disorders, whether that FASD, ADHD, um, anything that hinders their processing, do you find that they also have a low emotional IQ because of the frustration, because of the delays, because of environments that propel them to be like everyone else. So if you have them in the wrong environments, that could really, you know, concentrate emotional, um, you know, unintelligence. It can. It, it doesn't always have to be, but it can. Um, one of the things I was talking to you about before we started recording is something called executive functioning. So that is a person's ability to, to carry out something. And often with, with people that have either sensory processing or other diagnoses, that is impacted. So that's where developmentally you'll see it to be lower. Now, with um, something like autism, it's maybe it's not as extreme as someone who has an FASD because, again, it's how the brain was affected. But if, if you are in an environment um, that's stressful. And I've actually learned, I've, I've, I've done so much learning since I've become like a parent advocate. And I've learned that if you have any type of sensory, you know, whether your sensory avoids certain things like loud sounds or anything, if you are in an environment where you're trying to learn and you have sensory issues that are stopping that, then you're not able to learn because your mind is almost in that fight or flight mode saying, what's going on here? I'm just trying to deal with these sounds or these, you know, all this going on. So I think my advice for parents or teachers or caregivers out there, just just again, as, as a parent, is that try to learn what senses, you know, your, your kid or your teen or your young adult, um, you know, it, it works for them and what doesn't work for them. And then try to focus on, you know, helping their learning style. So like, say your kid comes home from school and just needs some time to unwind. You give that to them. And then maybe your kid needs to like, our daughter loves to bounce and she actually focuses better if she bounces and we, we homeschool her. So one of the things that we do is she has like one of those bouncy balls that she sits on. So when she does her work, she sits and she gets that stimulation because that's something she's seeking and she's able to focus. Our son, for example, and this totally for, for a long time, I couldn't, I couldn't understand why, but our son would rather when he was, you know, a teenager and still to this day, um, he preferred 
doing any type of work standing up. And now that he's a carpentry apprentice, it makes perfect sense because he gets in that workshop with his teacher and he's writing things down and measuring and doing fractions. He learned best on his feet. <laughs> so if you're a parent and you can say, hey, you know, my kid actually you know, I know people say don't listen to music while you're studying or don't listen to music while you're writing or don't listen to music while, um, you know, you're, you're trying to memorize something. But for some kids, that might actually be helpful. So for, for those parents, I would say, you know, try to look up some resources where you can learn about how your, your kid, you know, say if your kid doesn't like auditory things. Okay, let's find out what's best, you know. Um, but yeah, that can affect them. That really can. And if you think about it, I mean, just think about us. You know, if, if you're in a place where that's just so overwhelming, like for me, for example, I think of something like um, an airport or a busy, you know, train station or something. You got 20 million things going on. And then you say somebody came up to you and said, OK, I want you to memorize this or I want you to learn that. I'm just too busy trying to process everything. That's what it's like for, for somebody that has sensory processing. You know, you got like 50 million things going on and your brain's just trying to cope with that. So when you learn what environment, you know, what um, just what is best for your brain to learn, then that is progress right there too. And I also think it's important for our listeners to know that Sensory processing disorders can also be avoiding something or too much stimulation. Yeah. So can you talk about that? Sure. So sensory processing disorders, um, again, that's not really an official diagnosis, but that's something that comes along with other diagnoses. So if you have um, a child or a teen that has a sensory processing disorder, Usually there's there's two things. They're either a sensory, they have sensory seeking symptoms or sensory avoiding symptoms. And um, with with knowing those, um, it can affect how um, how they process things or how their brain works. Um, <laughs> and to be honest, can you can you repeat that question for me? <laughs> <laughs> just so I make sure I'm answering it right. And I also want to add something to that question. Sure, sure. Sensory avoiding or too much stimulation. And I wanted to ask you, with children that are stimulated by too much stimulation and they feel like they have to be doing something. So sometimes we may see this in ADHD. So how does a parent deal with those types of impulsive behaviors? So again, this is just um, this is just a uh, a lived parent example. I'm not a professional. I'm not a therapist or psychologist or anything. But some of the things that work for 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 me as a mom of kids um, is letting them do fidget things, like giving them something to do. Like you know, you see, we have actually a fidget basket. And our daughter loves it and our son loves it. I even love it too sometimes. I'll just grab something. So having them, you know, do something. An example that I list in our book, um, Blazing New Homeschooling Trails, um, our son would, he would learn his spelling words best when he was on a scooter. So I'd walk along with him, you know, and, and work on, you know, I'd quiz him or I'd give him spelling words while he was writing. Again, that whole learning while he's standing up thing. Our daughter loves to bounce. So, you know, 
doing math facts on the trampoline or something like that. So really thinking of if they're seeking behaviors, thinking of ways that you're not going to say, okay, you have to stay put and do this, you know, say, no, you know what, this is their strength. They like to jump. Okay. We're going to, we're going to put some learning right in there. Um, and, and that is something that, again, a lot of parents are like, what? I can't do that. But it really is not that difficult. It's just shifting your mindset from saying, okay, learning has to be sitting at the desk, you know, with the computer or whatever versus, okay, we got to learn about this today. How can we do it? You know, okay. Um, another thing that uh, we like to do because we live out in the country is take nature walks and just learn by there. So we bring a book with us and we take a nature walk and we just learn, you know, in our backyard. So it's really thinking out of the box and thinking, okay, what do they, what, what is their body seeking or craving? And then how can I meet that while helping them learn? And I also think it's important for parents to understand or caregivers to understand when you have sensory deprivation, like we were talking about before the recording, overloaded sensory when you're in public. And a lot of people, they don't understand this because sometimes that could come as a child. Sometimes that could come as an adult. Sometimes that can come from caring for certain, if you're a caregiver and sometimes that is your space for all day long. And can you talk about some ways that caregivers can balance their lives and not be so overloaded with, you know, with what they have to do with their tasks? So when you're a caregiver, particularly of say, either someone that has an FASD, like in our case, um, or a, a child that maybe has, you know, a brain-based diagnosis, like say autism or something like that. And you have that person maybe developmentally is not at the same age of their peers. Um, first of all, a couple things is you got to work on your own self-care first. You know, I, I mean, and it's so cliche, but you really got to put on your oxygen mask before you can put on anybody else's. So you got to, you know, have opportunities for respite or for people to support you, you know, for times where somebody can, can help you out. So say for example, and, and this is a good example. Again, we were talking about this before we started recording. You have, you're, you're a caregiver of someone that has a brain-based disability and you want them to start practicing, you know, being with other people, um, you know, or, or practicing being in a group or something like that. Think small and work your way up, you know. So if you want somebody, say they're, they're at home most of the day and you want them to just gradually start getting out, then say, you know, say you're going to a church, you know, Bible study or something like that. And you want, you know, the person you're caring for to go with them, but maybe it might be a little too much. Start small you know, and accommodate. So that's an example of accommodating. So saying, okay, we're going to go for 15 minutes and then, you know, and then build it up. And then if that person is able to like do it, you know, a little bit on their own, you know, so that the caregiver either can do something, you know, uh, do something else in the building or, you know, or do something more of what they wanted to do. Then again, you just gradually build up that time because especially when you have somebody that has a brain-based diagnosis, their sensory system is just trying to take in all of this new new environment, new people, new sounds, new everything. So if you start small and build it up, 
you and again this is just talking as a mama with lived experience you you will have a better opportunity for that person that you're caring for to say okay you know i can do this i can do this you know and and we've done that in many instances you know with our son you know where um we just start small and and you know and build it up you know and um that's an example of an accommodation and and that's really important no matter what the diagnosis is you know accommodating and and meeting them where they're at and then slowly growing from there and i love what you said about embracing what they can do instead of focusing on what they cannot do and so many times i think that as parents you know or caregivers you know like we talked about the herd mentality you have to meet people where they are they might not be like everyone else in the group they might be the outlier so you think but that might be a better way to do it you know like nature i love i absolutely love nature that is such a great tool for healing for change for serenity um So I think that's awesome. So in what ways are you all helping? So you're an author and now you're developing programs and you're working with people. So in what ways can people start to work with you and what things are you going to help them through? So Basically, we founded FASD Hope um as a podcast, a weekly podcast, as a website and as a resource place for parents. Um, you know, we just had this vision in our mind that we will um, you know, we just wanted to share our story and take our brokenness and our family's journey and how we're still on this journey. This journey doesn't end. When you have a kid that has or, you know, uh, when you're caring for someone that has a lifelong disability, it doesn't end. But to let people know that we're there. And I think that's really important. And I I know KK you um I'm sure you've talked about this on your your podcast, but when people don't feel alone, when people feel like somebody understands their road, even if it's just a little bit, then hope grows. you know and we wanted to do that through FASD hope and that's actually one of the reasons why we chose the name FASD hope because often when you hear about FASD you don't hear hope you hear jail you hear premature death you hear drugs you hear gangs you hear all that stuff because these kids weren't accommodated these kids they focused on what was wrong rather than what they could do so that's big and then honestly you know you know our faith is really important to us and i just we just prayed and we were just like you know lord just show us where you want us to go and boom doors started opening you know we started talking to partnering with organizations that um are fantastic that are like hey you know how can we work together so we're actually like growing FASD hope you know we really consider it to be a ministry but it's like um it's like a, a it's a ministry and a calling but we're growing it as a business in helping others you know um so you know we're 
doing the book. My husband husband created a second website for the book. And on that website, which is blazingnewhomeschooltrails.com, um, we're going to offer things like a free journal, you know, if you buy the book and offer um, eventually classes for parents and caregivers to take and just learning opportunities and things like that. So honestly, and, and I, I guess I'm very happy that we connected, KK, because um, I think that when you have like this dream that's kind of been put in your heart and, and honestly, I never thought I'd be doing this. I mean, my background's in music therapy and rec therapy, you know, for so many years, I, I worked with a, a number of populations and now I'm like, I'm doing this. So right. I really think like I took, I took the journey inside me that was, and I didn't really, and again, I wasn't expecting it, but it's, it's actually my most vulnerable journey because it's being a mom of, of, you know, and then saying, okay. And, and I, I read this, I actually used this quote on our social media page last week, but it was a beautiful quote by Rick Warren. And I'm paraphrasing this, but essentially it's like, take that wound that, that really just hurt you the most. That will be your most effective ministry or that will be how people will most effectively hear you because that's when you're the most real, you know, is, is when you <laughs> have recovered from that wound, you can say, Oh man, you know, the, the, you know, if I can help somebody, you know, not feel alone on this journey, then that is, I think, you know, your most effective way of empowering people. Yeah. So. I totally agree. And that's the main reason I started the Mom Stuff Coffee Shop to turn pain into power and yeah. try to triumph. Yeah. Help people awaken and unleash and not necessarily carry all the baggage that they had from the past away that they could just be authentically themselves in this world and with resources, tips, guests, and experts to help them along life's journey. So thank you so much for shedding light today on FASD. Now it's time for something to sip on. This is the end of our show where I asked you three important questions. <laughs> so the first question is what brings you joy? Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. And so if I could go down. Okay. So Jesus, my family. Um, food. I'll be honest with you. Food. <laughs> food is huge. Um, and I know we talked about this being outside, being yeah. outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the next one is, and I, you've answered this, uh, you've gave a very good, uh, you, you've given a very <laughs> Great answer to this. What are you working on? So you're working on your book and development. And yep. Yeah. Partnering with organizations, building relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Just again, I went a year ago when, when I feel like God put this in my heart, you know, FASD hope in my heart. I would never think that a year later it'd be a book and another website and, and talking to people. And, and yeah, so I just, I, I hope that I'm, I'm in growth mode. I would say that. I, I hope I'm in growth mode. And the final question is, what has been your greatest life lesson? Oh, my goodness. Um, I think that my greatest life lesson has been um, that your pain that was meant to break you will actually 
empower you if you just have faith and hope and have the open-mindedness to say, I'm going to grow from this. Yeah. And it's not just my family's journey. I've had a lot of pain, you know, myself. I mean, I had a hysterectomy when I was 28 and, you know, I've had a lot of, you know, just different, you know, things happen in my life. But I think that if you, especially when you look at it from back, you know, of course, in the moment, you're not going to see that, you know, three, four years ago when, when I was just crying on the floor, not knowing what to do about our son, of course, I wouldn't see it that. But again, if you just have faith and you just keep moving forward, then you can take that and learn from it. And I think you can even learn more from it as, you know, as you keep moving forward. That is so true. Natalie, thank you so much for being with us today. And friends, you can access her book, Blazing New Homeschool Trails on Amazon, as well as Amazon Kindle in an ebook. And you can also work with Natalie in her programs anywhere you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is probably on about 15 different platforms. So wherever you're listening to this podcast, you're going to be able to work with Natalie and access her book and access all her resources. So thank you so much, Natalie, for being here. And friends, remember, you can always celebrate wins and get back up again inside the Mom Stuff Coffee Shop. Thank you so much. So friends, I hope today's episode was food for your soul and fuel for your life. You can go to anywhere you're listening to this podcast and find out more on our guests. Please rate, share, subscribe to this podcast on any platform. I am your host, KK Smith. And remember, you can always celebrate wins and get back up again inside the Mom Stuff Coffee Shop.